So I came in from uh, El Salvador, got in from El Salvador last night, and uh, just wanted you to know that the ministry that we're down there is part of what you support, not only through second mile giving, but also uh, through your giving into the budget. That's uh, a ministry that we have supported with numerous mission teams over the years. And the ministry that the orphanage has been focused on, uh, which originally began to care for the children of the, uh, the revolution down there, the civil war down there, uh, has kind of shifted. Now they are receiving mostly uh, children that have special needs and, and issues uh, that are being brought there that are not acceptable to the other orphanages uh, in the country. Um, in addition, the, the school down there continues to uh, do a tremendous ministry. There's 240 students in the regular part of the Christian school. There's 104 students in the free section, and, and those students are students who otherwise would not be receiving any education at all uh, in the country. Uh, the clinic that's been open about six years uh, has served a little over 52,000 patients, uh, 52,000 individual patients at this point in time, uh, none of whom would have received medical care otherwise. So uh, they're doing a tremendous work down there in that country, a tremendous blessing, and, uh, and you are being part of that. As we talk about the heart principles, I want to remind you that the five unspoken requests we make of each other uh, hear and understand me. Uh, even if you disagree, don't make me wrong. Acknowledge the greatness within me. Remember to look for my loving intentions and tell me the truth with compassion. And remember the verse behind these, uh, urging us to maturity on the part of Paul, uh, who, a prisoner in the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks uh, for being present with us. And on this gray day, we ask that you bring uh, the light of your presence uh, into the midst of our hearts and spirits. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to remind you, this is uh, to remember to look for my loving intentions. And I want to start... Uh, in the Gospel of John, following the Last Supper uh, uh, that John portrays where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he gives them a new commandment. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And I want to say just a couple of words about that. In, in this passage, the word love there is agape, that, that other-oriented, self-sacrificing, uh, self-giving love that seeks the welfare of the other. Um, in our culture in America where we have only one word for love, uh, all this stuff kind of gets all jumbled together a lot of times. And, and frankly, you know, if you watch cable, uh, stuff on the cable or TV or whatever, uh, one of the things that's pretty evident is that, that we, get, we get love and sex mixed up a lot. You know, you have all those wonderful shows where, you know, they meet each other, they go off, they fall in love, and then they have sex. 
And it's going, no, 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 no. That's not the, the, the Bible doesn't look at it that way. Uh, and, and those are separate kinds of things in Scripture and understandings in Scriptures. And, and also, um, there are different words in Scripture used for love so that you have, you know, romantic love. And then you have this, you know, agape, the, the other oriented, self-sacrificing love. You have familial, uh, brotherly, sisterly love. Uh, and those are, those are used in different places in different ways. And you, you really don't want those to cross over because, you know, if you get romantic love and familial familial love mixed up, you know, it gets really weird. So you don't want to go there. Uh, so it's important for us to understand what's being said when we read these passages of Scripture and what is being meant by them. Uh, one of the other things when, when I read through this is I, I remember a comment that Kevin Watson made uh, in, in one of the things he's teaching. Um, and he said, you know, we, uh, we, we don't always agree on what the loving thing to do is. And uh, we see that particularly as pastors when we get parents who, you know, have young parents and they got married and they have their first child and they come in because they are having a heated disagreement about how that child should be disciplined. Uh, you know, they both love the child, but they disagree very strongly on how to discipline that child. Uh, and, and it's not that they, you know, they don't love the child or don't, don't love each other, but they have a strong disagreement about what the loving thing to do is. And that's a, a piece of this that ought to be remembered uh, as we're talking about, remember to looking for my loving intentions, um, that sometimes uh, people have loving intentions even when we disagree strongly about what we're doing. Uh, and, and the other piece of this is, just to be honest, we need to be able to acknowledge that sometimes we don't have loving intentions. Just putting it out there, you know, I mean, we just have to acknowledge that sometimes we don't. Uh, when I was a kid, and I think I was probably about four years old, uh, my sister and I were in, in, the, in the yard playing, and my parents had planted one of those ornamental pepper plants that, that grows and has the little peppers on it, and some are green, and some are yellow, and some are red, and, and so we're out there playing, and I, and I noticed it because it looked kind of like Christmas lights on the plant, and, and I asked my sister what that was, and she says, oh, that's a candy tree. Oh, she says, eat one. Okay. So I go over and I grab one of those suckers and pop it in my mouth and bite into it. And oh my gosh, it set my mouth on fire. It was just like, wah. And so I'm, I'm grabbing out the garden hose and trying to wash that out of my mouth. And I'm going, what is it? What is it? And she goes, it's poison. You're going to die. <laughs> now I want to confess to you at that moment, I don't think my sister had loving intentions. And a few minutes after that, when my mother was spanking her for doing that, and I was watching that with glee, I didn't have very loving intentions either, <laughs> right? So, you know, we, we need to be able to acknowledge sometimes that we, we really don't always have loving intentions. Uh, but within the fellowship of the body of faith, uh, where we are brothers and sisters together, this is what we're called to, to love, agape love, to love one another with that kind of sacrificial love in the same way that Christ loved his disciples we are to show that love to one another. And, and Paul tells us in Romans that it looks kind of like this. Uh, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints extend hospitality to strangers. I mean, there, there's about a month's worth of sermons just right there in that definition of love. Uh, and, and if you're not feeling challenged yet, just hold on because uh, it gets worse. But, but this is this, this, you know, tremendous definition of what does it mean to love? Uh, in 1 John, we're reminded uh, that we are called to love one another because love is from God. 
Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and God's love is perfected in us. Um, I want you to hold on to that, that passage, and keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to that. This idea that, that, that we're called into this love that, that's overwhelming and goes beyond. And so I was trying to think of you know, kind of a way to break that down. And, and what I ended up doing was going to uh, John Wesley's sermon on Catholic spirit. Uh, and, and looking up in there, he defines what the character of Catholic spirit is uh, toward the end of the sermon. And he says, uh, the first piece of that is, says, you know, please, he says, love me. He says, not simply love humanity. He says, no, love me with tender affection. Love is a friend who is closer than a brother. Um, Lord Alfred North uh, Whitehead would one time say, uh, my love for mankind is mitigated by my violent dislike of the man next door. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really easy to talk about loving people in general and in the abstract, but when we get down to loving real people, uh, it becomes much more difficult. Um, sometimes we just you know, don't particularly care for them, but we're called to love them anyway. And they're those uh, what we call extra grace required people. Uh, you know, they're kind of like hugging a porcupine. You know, every time you try to embrace them, they, they prick you uh, and hurt you. Uh, and, and, and we're called to love them anyway. I mean, this, this kind of call on us. Love, love me with tender affection as a friend, uh, you know, who's closer than a brother. We're, we're called into this. Love me with a love that is not provoked by my follies or infirmities or even my acting not according to the will of God. Don't, don't wait until you, know, you, you need to love me because I'm having problems or because I'm sick or, or because I'm having issues in my life, but love me all the time. Um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this, this famous passage where he talks about love, speaking in the midst of the struggle in the Corinthian church. And he reminds them, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body, if I martyr myself, so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Did you hear that he's telling us you know, this, this agape love is the, is the foundation of everything else we do. The other things are important. He's not saying they're not important, but they are built on this foundation of agape love. And without that, the other things don't matter. And then he defines for us some characteristics of it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. So a number of years ago, one of my friends, Melissa Smith, said, um, taught me this trick about, you know, you read yourself into the Scripture. And so she said, if you want to know that if you're exhibiting agape love, if you're living that out, she said, just read your name into this passage. So, so when I raise my hand, I want you to say your name. I've done this at weddings with some of you, but let's try that. Are you ready, Tom? You're supposed to say your name. <laughs> oh, come on, try again. Okay, there you go. Now we're getting it. Ready? Tom. 
is patient. Tom is kind. Tom is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Tom does not insist on his, her own way. Tom is not irritable or resentful. Tom does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but Tom rejoices in the truth. How'd that sound? You got it, right? You're all good? Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, the first time I did that, I read through that, and I thought, oh, I am in so much trouble. I am done for. You know, I, I, and, and, and I was really, it almost actually put me into a place of despair thinking about it. And Melissa's remembrance or word or advice to me was she says, remember, back over here, right? God, we love because God first loved us. And, and, and if we love one another, God lives us and God's love is perfected in us, which is actually, this is where John Wesley got the idea of perfecting love, that it's, it's not about what we're able to do, but it's about what God's love dwelling in us is able to do. It doesn't depend just upon us, uh, and it's only when we invite God to indwell us with God's Spirit and pour His love into our hearts so that there's not room for other things that we're able to love in this way. And that's what agape love starts to look like. Commend me to God in all your prayers. Pray that God will speedily correct what he sees amiss and supply what is wanted in me. Pray that the love of God might be more largely poured into my heart. Now, I don't know about you, but it's, it's really easy when we see what is amiss in someone else or what's wanted in someone else to pray for them to kind of, you know, oh Lord, please let them have a plague of boils kind of prayer. This is not what this means. Uh, this, this is a prayer of, of love and a prayer of encouragement, a prayer of healing, a prayer of wholeness. This is a, a prayer that the love of God might more, be more largely poured into my heart. You know, you're praying for people to be filled more with the love of God, to, to not only understand what, what's missing in their lives, but to receive the gift of healing of what's missing in their lives and to be filled up with the love of God until it just overflows. Um, in Ephesians, there's a wonderful prayer where, where Paul is praying uh, sending in this prayer to the congregation. And he says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this wonderful, amazing prayer for the saints in Ephesus that, that God will just indwell them so powerfully with this love that goes beyond everything we can understand and fill us with all the fullness of God. Wesley says, pray that for me. Pray that for me. Third, provoke me to love and to good works. Help me amend my faults, strengthen my weaknesses, build me up in love, and make me more fit for the master's use. You know, encourage me to, to get myself together and, and become stronger in my faith and, and to live that out in, in very powerful ways out in the world. Uh, the writer of Hebrews encouraged us to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, that word provoke, we often hear as um, 
like, like an irritant or something that, that's difficult to deal with. But actually, the origin of the word provocar means to speak for, it's to advocate for or to encourage. And so what he's saying is, you know, not, not irritate each other into doing love and good deeds, but, but encourage one another, speak to one another about loving and doing good deeds, uh, and, and, and encourage this, you know, in, in love and in worship and in presence together in fellowship so that we can live into our faith fully. That's a, it's a word of encouragement. And love me not only in word, but in deed and truth. Don't just talk about it. Do it. Don't just, walk the, don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk. Uh, get out there and actually put, put skin and bones on this commandment, you know, to, to love. Uh, don't just, you know, shoot your mouth, but, but actually get out there and live it out. Um, John would advise us, you know, we know love by this, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does love, God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help. Little children, let us love not in word or in speech, but in truth and action. So I just, uh, th- this one to me, just coming back from El Salvador speaks to me so clearly. Uh, being in El Salvador, which is uh, one of the poor, it is actually the poorest per capita country uh, in Central America, uh, where people really are struggling in ways that you and I can only imagine. Uh, and this group of people who's down there doing ministry in the midst of this, uh, who are ministering to folks in the midst of uh, hard, hard kinds of conditions and, and poverty that, that you and I just don't even see, uh, and, and people who are there in the face of groups like MS-13 and are doing this ministry. Um, I mean, they, they, are, they are loving in truth and action when they are ministering to those people. And, and we who have the world's goods, I think sometimes have trouble even understanding what it means uh, to love at that depth. And Wesley says, listen, don't just love me with your words, but make it real. Put skin and bones on it. Love me indeed in truth. So, um, you know, when we were young, um, my dad's mother lived in North Carolina and we were here and and we only made about four trips back and forth to see her over the years. Uh, and, and the first one, I, I know, I, I don't really remember. But the second trip, I was, I was somewhere around nine years old. And I was old enough that I was beginning to, to see things and re- recognize things and realize things and put things together. Uh, my grandmother sent us every year uh, Christmas gifts by the mail. They'd come in. And, uh, and we always recognized them because they were always kind of wrapped in, like, tissue paper. And they would have a piece of yarn or something wrapped around them and our name written on them. And if you picked them up, they were soft. You know why, right? They were underwear and socks. That's what was in the packages. And so, you know, we, 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 every year we get underwear and socks. That's what we'd always, we always knew that, that was from Granny in North Carolina. It was underwear and socks. And, 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 you know, when we were little, you know, my sister and I kind of went, oh, you know, you know kids, how, you know, how thrilling is that, really? Uh, and so we were kind of going, and, and then my mother would, would put them in the branches of the tree, you know, kind of set them in there and we'd get them out on Christmas morning. And as we got older and our friends would come over to the house and they would see those in the tree and they'd go over and say, hey, what's this? And, and pick it out because, you know, really, let's be honest, we all check our presents out. Uh, they would take it out and do this and they would go, what is this? Why is it soft? And it was, it was kind of awkward to say, well, that's, it's, it's underwear. You know, I mean, it was for a kid, that was kind of an awkward thing. And so my 
sister and I, we, we always kind of thought, you know, okay, you know, I don't know why she sends us underwear, but, you know, it's just what she does. And, and, and we kind of laughed about it and made fun of it and everything. And uh, when we were nine, we went up there and, and paid a visit to her. And as we got there, we, you know, walked up to the house, which was a, a little simple frame wood house. Uh, it had a dog run down the middle. Some of y'all remember what that is. It's the big hallway that runs down the middle. And on either side were two rooms. And on the left side of the house as you faced it, in the back was the kitchen, which was shared by everybody. And the front was the, the living room of the house, but that was also where my grandmother's bed was and where she slept. On the other side, there was another couple that lived in the house. To this day, I don't really know who owned the house or who rented or what. But there was another couple that lived on that side. And in the back was their bedroom. And in the front was kind of another little living space for them. Uh, there was no indoor facilities in the house. Those were in the little building in the back, if you know what I mean. Uh, and the bathtub was in that central hallway. Uh, there was no water heater, so if you needed hot water, you heated it on the stove, and then you used it either to wash things with or to pour into the bathtub. And I'm sure when it was just her and this other couple that was there, having the bathtub in that hallway worked out fine. But when we all came, it required some good scheduling to avoid some really awkward overlaps, right? You get know what I mean? Uh, and so, you know, we kind of had to work that out and forgot who was going to bathe when and how we we're going to make that work and do all of that. Uh, and there was no TV in the house. There was no telephone in the house. There was no radio in the house. My grandmother's entertainment was to sit on the, the wide front porch in her rocking chair and smoke her pipe or dip her snuff and watch people going by. Uh, and as she got older and her vision began to fail, you wanted to be sure not to get between her and the spittoon. <laughs> or you'd wear it all day, you know, right? Uh, but, but she lived very, very meagerly in this, this little frame house with no central heat and no central uh, cooling, air conditioning. I'm pretty sure the only way they heated it in the winter was with the stove in the kitchen. So we came and, and I started noticing these things for the first time when I'm there. Uh, and my parents would take her bed in the front bedroom and my sister and I would sleep on a pallet on the floor. She would make a pallet and sleep on the floor in the kitchen. Um, and, and, and those of you who did the Matthew 25 challenge this past fall, we had the night we slept on the floor. You might remember being a little stiff and sore the next morning when you got up. I mean, I think she was at least my age at that point, and, uh, and yet she was in there on the floor in the kitchen on the linoleum uh, every night. And I can remember early in the morning hearing her get up and putting things away, putting the bed away that she had slept in and beginning to fix breakfast for all the rest of us. Uh, she had no car, and neither did the other people in the house. Uh, when she needed to go grocery shopping, there was someone that, went down, that lived down the street that had a car that sometimes they all kind of carpooled together. But, but if that wasn't available, she had one of those little red toy wagons that you pulled. Uh, she had that, and she took it the seven or eight blocks down the street to the grocery store uh, and got her groceries and put that in, in the cart and, and brought them back. And so we started thinking about, you know, her buying our gifts for us. And, and we realized, one, the gifts, the, the underwear was always the right size and the right brand. And, and the socks were always the color we needed. And, and we realized that since she didn't ever call anybody on the phone, that actually she thought ahead of time and she would write to my father and ask, you know, what, what size was needed and, and so forth. And he would write her back. She had to think about that ahead of time, not only for us, but for all the other grandkids. Uh, she did that. And then she would have to take her little red wagon and walk the, the 12 or 13 blocks down to Woolworths and buy all of those with her meager funds for us and come back to the house, wrap all of that, box it all up, 
put it in the wagon, and then go to the 20 blocks to the post office to mail it and come back. And we started realizing that um, she put more time and more effort and sacrificed more to do that for us than we did for any of the gifts we bought for anybody. And frankly, I was a little ashamed that we had made fun of that. And we realized behind those gifts that we had joked about and all that was a tremendous love that had gone to great effort and probably made sacrifices financially to be able to do that for us. Remember to look for my loving intentions. So how often do we allow our presuppositions and assumptions to blind us to what people are actually doing? As we got ready to go home that year, I don't think we'd ever sent her a thank you note. I don't think we'd ever said anything to her. But my sister and I both said we need to go tell her thank you. And so we went and we told her thank you. Now, you've got to remember my grandmother was about four foot nine, four foot ten, a little short thing. And she really hardly ever talked. Uh, and, uh, and so we went up and we both gave her a hug and we both thanked her for the Christmas gifts that she was sending us. And she just beamed. It's one of the few times I ever saw her so happy. And I thought, how wonderful that is. And I thought, yeah, how wonderful it is when in Christ's love we recognize the Christ's love in one another. And what a tremendous joy that brings to our hearts and to God's hearts. Remember to look for my loving intentions. You know, let the love of God fill you and through you flow out and recognize the love of God in others. Let us pray. Father, you call us to love in a way that, that really is simply beyond us, that we're unable to do. And, and we give you thanks that you have loved us first and shown us what that love is like and that you pour that love into our hearts that not only might we know what it's like, but we might know how to Love in the same way. And we ask in that love that you open our eyes to see the love of Christ in each other. That we might bring joy to each other. That we might bring joy to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.